0: People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. What's up with? What's up with that? What's up with that?
1: What's up with that? What's up with that?
0: (laughs) Always play hurt, never play injured. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by GMC and the new Sierra AT4X, Playing Hurt today as he did Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada is Elliot Friedman. How is the voice? How is the lovely voce there, Elliot? I think it sounds fantastic. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> I got a text from PJ. Stock? Late in the show. Count oh, yeah. Stockula? I, oh, yeah. Okay. I, I think this deserves to be shared with the public.
0: Okay. You sound like Demi Moore, but way hotter. <laughs> Oh, jeez, PJ. The one thing that I do like about the only thing that I like about being sick is my voice drops an octave. Yeah, mine too. My voice is too trebly to begin with. i yeah, don't really dig it. But then when I get sick, it sounds like I've been, you know, drinking scotch and eating cigars for two weeks. That's about the only thing I like about being sick. That's the only bonus is being a broadcaster and being sick.
1: That sounds like my idea of heaven scotch and
0: cigars. <laughs> scotch for, and cigars, yeah.
1: For two weeks. Now, I have to say this. I know we're going way, 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 way off the track we're supposed to be on here. Okay. But this reminds me of a story. A friend of mine once told me he and his girlfriend were out to lunch once one day, and she was getting over a bit of her cold, and her voice was really deep. Mm -hmm. And at one point, she went to the bathroom, and the guy sitting at the table next to her tapped him and said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to pry or interrupt. I hope you won't take this wrong way, but I find your girlfriend's voice really sexy and attractive. Oh. And he told us later he didn't know whether to be offended or giddy. And we all told him giddy. You you have to be giddy.
0: Yeah, that's uncomfortable, but okay, (laughs) I suppose. I don't know how I'd react. I'd probably just shrug it off and say thanks and go about my way and not want to cause any drama or or dilemma for that matter, but um, that's an interesting one.
1: I always say this. If somebody tells you the person you're with, your partner is attractive for whatever reason, take it as the compliment. That's the way I look at it.
0: All right, let's get to hockey. What's happening with Pat Kane?
1: So Pat Kane didn't play on Friday in the 2-0 uh, win over Arizona, and he didn't play on Sunday. As we are recording this, they're going to play Calgary tonight. Yep. And... Luke Richardson said, look, we don't play again until Thursday, so it makes sense to give him more rest, and he's going to have a treatment. So we mentioned this briefly on Saturday night in our segment. There has been a rumor that Pat Kane has been dealing with something, Mm -hmm. some kind of injury, some sort of nagging injury for some period of time. And at some point, he's going to need a cleanup." Like I don't know exactly what the procedure would be, so I don't want to go too much farther into this. But the rumor is he would potentially need a cleanup. So I've been thinking about this, and this is my opinion. I am spitballing this. I wonder is if what happens here, this really affects him, and he either can't play or noticeably impacts him. I wonder if the solution is Kane and the Blackhawks agree to a one-year extension he shuts himself down. He goes and gets whatever procedure he needs and he comes back next year healthy and refreshed and we go through this again. Again, that's my opinion. I'm looking at ways that this can work because to be perfectly honest, if he noticeably struggles because he's hurting, mm-hmm. it's bad for everyone. It's bad for him. It's bad for the Blackhawks and trying to move him. And it's bad for another team that might be interested in him. So I was thinking about this today when I heard he wasn't going to play. And again, he could get totally healthy and this could not be a problem. But if this is going to be an issue, I do wonder if the outcome is going to be a one-year extension for Keenan in Chicago and they go through this again next year.
0: That's my opinion. Let me sort of wheel around that thought. Um, That would be Pat Kane doing a real solid for the Chicago Blackhawks. I think it would also
1: be the Blackhawks doing something that they probably weren't planning on doing.
0: But it benefits them too. It really benefits them because ultimately, I mean, listen, if Pat Kane, and again, we are spitballing here, but if Pat Kane gets shut down for the season, they can't move him, then Pat Kane can walk in the off season for nothing. Mm-hmm. This way you sign him to the one year deal with the knowledge that you're going to move him. We've seen this before, most recently with John Klingberg in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. We all know why he was signed. And then all of a sudden you're doing something for that Blackhawks team. That's Patrick Kane doing a solid for the Chicago Blackhawks.
1: Well, I think the other thing too, is that I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that Kane and Taves ever envisioned themselves in another uniform.
0: I always saw them retiring as Hawks.
1: Well, I think we all did. Right. Hmm. Again, it all depends on how healthy he is or isn't and how he looks, but this might be something that it punts the ball down the line, but it could solve everybody's problems.
0: uh, it, It would explain some of the play that we've seen out of Patrick Kane so far this season. Right. Like still, like most teams will have, will like, listen, I'll take, you know, Patrick Kane is 75% over a lot of other people at 100%. But this hasn't been a quote unquote Patrick Kane type season, Elliot, has it? No,
1: no, it, it has not. And it would make sense. Like, again, this is something I've heard has been lingering for quite some time. And, you know, sometimes these things get better with rehab. And sometimes you you say, we're going to go that path first, Mm -hmm. but eventually you get to a point where you say, okay, we've got to deal with it. And I think everybody's wondering here if we're going to get to that point. By the way, Jeff, apropos of nothing, those Blackhawks jerseys they wore against the Flames on Sunday night, those are beautiful.
0: Well, you on this podcast, Elliot, are the, um, the arbiter of good taste and style and fashion. So we will take your lead. Now, I've decided I'm going to make this really easy on myself through the, for the remainder of the podcast here and just ask questions that revolve around what's up with. So here okay. I go again. I'll start what's with- up with that? Kenan Thompson. What's up with that? What's up with that? Now I'm going to go with this next one. What's up with Ivan
1: Provorov? Oh, it's a good question. <laughs> it's a good question. There's something going on here. And I think it could be as something as simple as the Flyers just realize that everything has to be on the table over the next six to 18 months to maybe this. it's just time with this particular player. Like there's a wide spectrum. Get that? Philadelphia spectrum.
0: Oh, geez. I know. Of of
1: answers we could give here. I think it's just safe. It's just to play it safe, Jeff.
0: What you should have said, by the way, is there is a broad spectrum, but that's okay.
1: Yes, you're right. Broad spectrum. Damn, I wish I would have thought of that. Really good. This kind of came to my attention uh, early Sunday morning, and I was kind of working on it. And it's a difficult thing to pin down. But to say that there is something going on here, like I I think you're going to hear Provorov's name out there, right? He's got two more years under contract. The cap hit is six times 6.75, which is very reasonable for him. It's actually higher in cash, it goes up to about 17 million in cash for the next two seasons. You know, this is a guy who had 41 points a few years ago, and he looked like he was going to be one of the best young defensemen in the National Hockey League. I still think the talent's there, but it hasn't worked as well as it could have and should have in Philadelphia. Now, I look at this, I think probably some of it is on the player and some of it is on the team. Look, the team hasn't been what everybody thought they were going to be, and everybody suffers with that. But I've heard that there has been a conversation about, is it time? Is it just time for him to go somewhere else and the flyers to look to send him somewhere else. I don't think this is anything imminent. I think this is something that might develop over a little while, but I think you're going to hear his name. And I, I think he has frustration with what's going on there. And I think there's some frustration directed towards him too, but you know, this guy is a really talented guy and I can't help, but look at him and wonder Jeff, if he goes somewhere else and flourishes.
0: Oh, you know, I wonder if one of the problems here is they just haven't been able to find the right partner for Ivan Provorov. You know, coming out of the bubble, Matt Niskanen said, "I'm done. I don't want to go through that. I'm uh, that. That's it. I'm checked out on hockey." He retired, and it really affected Provorov. I just wonder because he was kind of like the, and here comes dated reference. You know, seven thousand four hundred and twenty-three of for me on this podcast. He was sort of the uh, the Ken Clee to Provorov's Gonchar. There's a dated mm-hmm. Washington Capitals reference there for you. And I guess Ryan Ellis was supposed to be the new Matt Niskanen for Ivan Provorov, and then just because worked. of all the injuries, yeah. that n- never really happened. I just wonder if this is a situation where they just weren't able to find the right partner for Ivan Provorov.
1: I think there's a lot under the surface here. The, the, the word I got a lot from the the person who kind of indicated that he'd heard this to me was frustration. I think the player is frustrated. I think the organization is frustrated. I think the teammates are frustrated. I think everybody's just frustrated at how everything has gone in the last few years in Philadelphia. And, you know, like I said, I I think the Flyers are going to consider a lot of things. You know, you've asked me before, what direction is this team going in? Yeah, I think a move like this one, uh, could tell us whenever it happens. You know, what do they get in return? What do they do with the space that would be created salary cap-wise to move a player with this number? But, you know, I, I have to say, I, I think on some level, it's got to be disappointing for everybody with this. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like I said, after his second season, this guy looked like a stud. And uh, it just hasn't worked. And sometimes... You have to change coaches because the voice doesn't work with the group anymore, and sometimes you have to change jobs or locations for your job because it's not working for you in that place anymore. And I've just wondered if, based on everything I've heard on Sunday, if that's kind of where we are with Provorov.
0: You know what he needs, Elliot? It just dawned on me. What's that? He needs the defense whisperer. He helped make Victor Hedman. He helped make Miro Haskinen. He's recreating Josh Morrissey in front of our eyes. Ivan Provorov means Rick bonus. You know,
1: know, I, I have to say, look, I don't want anybody radioing us. We do that plenty to ourselves. But when I first heard about this, that was actually the first team that hopped into my mind.
0: See, the first that always hops in my mind with Proveroff is Vegas, and that's because of Kelly McCrimmon, how excellent he was with the Brandon Weekings when Kelly was the owner, GM, and coach of the Weekings, got him into the top 10 in the uh, the NHL draft, but that's just because I've got so much junior hockey on my brain this past weekend. But the more that I think about it, man, he needs uh, the Rick Bonus magic wand waved over his head.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that Vegas could even make that work if they wanted to. You know, Winnipeg, for one thing, obviously he knows the terrain, playing yep. in the Western Hockey League and playing in Brandon.
0: Playing in Manitoba, yeah.
1: The the other thing too is the Jets like term. Now this isn't a ton of term. Uh this is 2 years. Uh but the Jets really like to trade for players who have term. So I don't know how they would feel about this, but I have to say that Winnipeg was and again, please don't radio us. We're not saying the Jets are trading <laughs> For this guy, I just, that was one of the first teams I thought about because of the connection and you make a great point about bonus.
0: All right. Shifting gears. When I say alligators, golf and dunk tanks, what do you think about I think about you on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> My timeline was wild after that report on hockey nights <laughs> It was quite funny. And, and by the way, it was really split. It was, um, uh, I think half was like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. This is fantastic. It sounds really cool. And the other half was, this is completely ridiculous to which I always say, well, dogs don't bark at park cars.
1: First of all, it was nice of Steve Meyer to confirm it on the podcast last week, and it was great work by you to track down more information that the dunk tank was coming. And by the way, the the, the golf that he's referring to, if you're a golfer, you know about the uh, famous hole in Florida, 17th hole at the TPC at Sawgrass. It's a par three. It's known as the Island Green, and that's the hole I think they're going to be basing this off of. I don't know if they're actually going to Sawgrass or they're just going to do it like that. But I think that's what they're basing it off of. Here's the thing with the dunk tank. I'm with you. I think it's awesome. As someone said to me, would you do it? And I said, not a chance. They said, well, why should a player do it? And I I get that. Like everybody's different. Some people are going to have no problem doing it. Some people will. And I, I have to say, I
0: put myself out there quite a bit. I don't think I would do that. Hang on. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. Like I said before to you, this stuns me. First of all, I would do it in a flash. Second of all, you've jumped out of a plane and you won't do the
1: dunk tank. Jumping out of a plane was to conquer my fears. I'm not afraid of going in the water. (laughs) It sounds like a promo from Jaws. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I watched that movie over Christmas with my son. I love that
0: movie, The USS Indianapolis scene is the best in, (laughs) in all of cinema.
1: Yeah, I I jumped out of a plane because I was afraid of heights and I wanted to conquer my fears. By the way, if you were sitting on a dunk tank, I wouldn't shoot at it. I would just walk up and knock you into it. And pound it. Yeah, I know. Here's the thing, though. I got the same reaction. Some people, it was great. Some people, that's terrible. It's vaudeville. One person said to me, it's vaudeville. Here's what I think, though. We have to get out of the old school hockey stiffness. We have to move the line. Like at the beginning of the year when everybody ripped those referees for welcoming everybody to the season. I loved it. I thought it was great that they tried something different. Mm -hmm. Like I love the fact that those officials did
0: that. Great players and our great fans. Welcome to opening night of the 2022-23 NHL season. What's better than this? Good luck to all players. Let's have a great season.
1: I know some people mocked it and thought it was stupid. But they tried something. and I, I really like that. And that's the way I look at this. I just like the fact that we're trying to move the line. We're trying to show the player personalities a bit more. You know, one of the things I really believe as the um, the NHLPA is searching for a new executive director, I think that one of the things that's coming up in these conversations is mm-hmm. we, the NHLPA, have to do a better job of marketing our players and their personalities. And I think that message is resonating with the players because now I think we still have to get over a lot of stiffness, and this might be one example, but we have great players who have great personalities. Like, you know, that that little Eberly song that he played last week, Jeff?
0: Yeah, it was very good. Yeah. So this is it. style and it ain't that much fun but it gets the job done we're gonna win the cup this year and then we're gonna drink a ton of you. and when it's all said and done we're right off into the sun
1: you know what that's fantastic that 30 second snippet or whatever it is there's a lot of that out there and i just think as a sport we need to push that line
0: But here's the problem. Like, I don't disagree with you, but all these players, like once upon a time when they first started playing hockey, however many years ago, and maybe all through minor slash youth hockey, they still have a shred of their own personality. But by and large, and this is changing, and there are the obvious, you know, Zegerses and and Hugheses that, you know, are the exception and not the rule. By the time they get to the NHL, there's a certain hockey zombiness that takes over. And they get there. To me, the issue isn't just, you know, what can the NHL do to market these personalities? It's how do you create an environment underneath the NHL so the personality doesn't get sucked out of them by the time they get to the NHL?
1: I think that's just happening organically. If you look at the way the world has changed, everything's out there now. I don't like it all the time. I don't think all of it's good, but I just think that this generation is going to grow up with We don't believe in privacy. That's true. We we believe in everything being thrown out all over the internet. And we better come to grips with it. So for example, Jeff, we're talking about young players doing different things and we better get used to it. Yeah. Lucas Reichel tonight for Chicago scored his first ever NHL goal. Mm -hmm. It was between the legs.
0: Here's Lucas Reichel in his third game of the season with the Big League Club. And Seth Jones down low. Rebound score! And an NHL first
1: for Lucas Reichel. Now, it wasn't a hot dog play. He was battling Zadorov, and it was the only play he could make.
0: And then he gets his own rebound. Out battles the big 6'6", 250-pound Nikita Zadorov. To find this one into the back of the net. But
1: to this generation of players, that's going to be normal.
0: It already is. All that stuff. It's, it's, it's totally normal. That's part of their hockey vocabulary. Yes, I,
1: I agree with you. And But nobody better be complaining about it.
0: No, but those, those, yeah, those those complaints are getting less and less. Like once upon a time, do you remember when Pat Quinn lost it on Kyle Wellwood? Yes. For trying that between the legs and like, oh, if he ever tries that again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Wellwood sort of sheepishly, uh, okay, I understand. Those days are gone. Like we just saw Matthew Kachuk not too long ago with the between the legs against Nashville. Great play, great goal. And it was the right play. It wasn't a hot dog play. It was just the easiest way to get his stick in position to take that shot or deflect that pass. Rick Nash used to do this beside Mm -hmm. the net. Not because he was hot dogging, but it was the right play and the smart play, and that's the way he got his stick in position. I I just think this is all part of young hockey players' vocabularies now, and it's been normalized Not unlike, you know, slap shots were once considered. Oh, slapped. This is a wrist shot game, sir. What is these back scratching slap shots? Now it's just normal. Like the Michigan is normal. Like my kid tried the Michigan Saturday afternoon in a game against... York Simcoe Express at St. Andrew's College didn't get it, but he tried it. By the way, Mike Murphy was there. He says hi, and he says that he's he's already enjoying retirement. The week that he's been I'll off, i bet I'm jealous. <laughs> but like all of this is like this is these are all normal things that kids do now, and we're seeing it in the in the NHL. There's nothing hot doggy about it. This is just the way you play hockey, Elliot. And maybe once upon a time we'd look at Reichel and say. Wow. Hot dogging for your first goal. Well, okay, kid, you better keep your head up out there. Now it's just, Hey, nice goal. And I think the NHL is better for it. Speaking of all-star with the fan voting, you and I talked about this on radio. I want to put this on the podcast and make sure that uh, I can try to call together as much support as possible this time. And I know I got the John Scott tweets right away, including one from John himself.
1: I, I was one, very, very,
0: good. <laughs> one from John himself, which was, uh, which, uh, which put a smile on my face. Um, this time around I want Ryan Pulock to go of the New York Islanders because I want to see him in the hardest shot. Like there's no Chara anymore, right? Like I want to see Ryan Pulock, who I believe will dust the field. I want to see him at the All-Star weekend because I want to see him in the hardest shot. That's the guy. if I'm stuffing boxes here, if I'm, you know, uh, you know, hashtagging for a, for a player to get to the All-Star game, I'm going Ryan Pulock cuz that guy can hammer the puck.
1: And as I told you on your radio show, I asked him about it once a few years ago, and he said he would love to go to compete in it. Yeah. So I'm all for that. Like, the one thing I, I don't like is I don't like it when it becomes making fun of someone or like when people say we're going to take we're going vote for this guy who doesn't deserve there because I want to be there because I want people to laugh at it. That's the stuff that makes me crazy. I, I don't like that. I remember when uh, R- the whole thing was going on with Rory Fitzpatrick. Vote for Rory. And Don Cherry got really mad at it. He's like, "They're making fun of this guy." And I remembered that.
0: Uh, okay, Minnesota Buffalo. I want to get to this game and specifically this overtime, which I thought was it was incredible. I thought the pace of it was outstanding. Again, like I don't want to get too artsy on this one, but like the flow of that overtime was like. <laughs> Here I go. It was like symphonic. It was like a melody rising and falling and rising again and falling again. Like it was sudden and then it was slow and then it was, you know, there's all this a there's normally I always complain about all the regroups, but it didn't feel like it was a whole overtime full of regroups because there was excitement with it. There were breakaways and two on ones, and Flurry made a great save on Tuck and made uh, the save on Skinner on the breakaway, and Lukanen stopped Addison and then stopped Brodine uh, Olafson wins it on a on a on a one timer with a scant few seconds left.
1: Eric Sinek a lot of space up top of the far point with 38 seconds. Kaprizov. Right side. Sends it across. Hartman snaps one on. Stopped by Lucan in the end. Stick goes into the net. Hartman knocks Lucan in down to get the stick. Back the other way comes Dolin. He'll drop it back. Crabs across. Scores!
0: I just thought that was just from an aesthetic point of view watching that overtime. I thought it was like it was gorgeous, like it was a beautiful overtime to watch, Elliot. Like, I know we all love the go, 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 go for five minutes, the roller coaster. Mm -hmm. But this one was like it was slow and then it was sudden and then it was medium tempo and then it was super fast and then it was cautious and then it was barn doors blown open wide It was phenomenal that was it was like the coolest overtime I've seen in I don't know how long I thought that was just a beautiful OT well first of all I wanted to give credit to
1: Marc-Andre Fleury because even though uh they lost the game we've learned now that he's dealing with a personal matter and he left the team after the game and he went home until Tuesday you know first of all I want to wish him the best you know, obviously he had a lot in his mind. But I, I agree with you. That was an incredible overtime to watch. I want, I, I want the East to be a little bit closer. I, I, I was a little worried a couple weeks ago that we were going to have a year like last year where, like, the East and the West were going to shut off and, like, all these playoff spots were going to be decided early. Well, now at least Nashville's making a run of it in the West and St. Louis at least is pretty close. And in the East, all of a sudden – Buffalo was four points out of the playoffs on Sunday night with four games in hand on the Islanders. Hmm. And, you know, Pittsburgh's still there, too. I want to see Buffalo make this a race. And I think those fans deserve it. And I think some of those players in particular deserve it. And I kind of feel bad for Thompson because, you know, we should probably have another trophy this year. We should have the McDavid trophy and the heart to trophy.
0: <laughs> Cuz McDavid's going to win this thing going away, but you can make the argument that Tage Thompson deserves it. The race is over. Yeah, I know.
1: It, it, like we're sitting here, we're recording this podcast on January 8th and and the heart is over. You know, there's always this, this debate like if the Oilers miss the playoffs, you know, you're going to vote for the heart like I, I don't care at all. Like he's he's winning this. But we almost need like a separate award if Thompson keeps this up for him this year. Maybe we won't call it the Heart Trophy Award. Maybe we call it the Heart (laughs) 2.
0: Heart Light. Heart Light. The Heart Valve Trophy. (laughs) I like that, the Heart Valve Trophy. Uh, I got a 31st goal uh, in that game against the Minnesota Wild. Uh, Rasmus Dalene, five-point game. Like, I'm with you. Well, first of all. He is really going too. Oh, I know. Dalene's going so good. Here's the thing. You know of my... Um, going back to when I was a kid and how much I love the Buffalo Sabres. Oh, and, yeah, the odd, I don't cheer the for odd. teams, but I mean, the odd and the French the connection odd. and all of it. And Playfair and Korab and like Sean Feld and all those guys. Like, I, I loved all Dan, Danny Gere, Like, I loved all those guys. Ted Darling. So that love exists there. And I really want the Buffalo Sabres to be something for the fans, for the team, for all of it. I mean, everybody's cheering for Buffalo everywhere right now whether it's the Bills, and I would imagine the Sabres as well. I just want something good to happen to Buffalo right now.
1: I, I agree. Those kickoff returns on Sunday. Oh, two of them. Unbelievable. <laughs>
0: Incredible. Fantastic. Um, Unbelievable. Just cheering for that city big time. How do you see this goalie situation shaking out? Because normally it's the path of least resistance, and you send Lucan down. He's been real good. And, you know, Comrie is ready to go. Craig Anderson and Lukanen, when they were the pair, Lukanen was getting the lion's share of the better games. And although he wasn't great to start, he's finishing here really strong. And he's suddenly turned into that goaltender they thought they were going to get when they drafted him from the Sudbury Wolves of the OHL normally the path of least resistance is, well, he doesn't need waivers, just send him down to Rochester. But how do you do that when he's playing this well? And to your point, they, they're they making this interesting Yeah, and they got a shot at it. You
1: have to keep
0: him. Okay, but then do you have yes. to... Yes. But then you have to like wave or trade someone or yes. something. Like it's, oof, it's a spot.
1: It's a spot. Like they are definitely in a spot, but I'd rather be in this spot because I'm... In the race, then be in this spot because I'm garbage again. I get it. If you're the Sabres, and again, I was okay, if I was in their shoes, what would I be thinking? Mm-hmm. I only judge others, I judge myself. You have to send a message to your players that we're seeing what you're doing and we're giving you the best chance to win. You have to send a message to the fans that you've seen a lot and we're giving we're we're showing you we're giving us the best chance to win. Like maybe you have to put someone on waivers. Maybe you have to make a move. The other thing, and I, I hate saying this, but it's true, like somebody else could get hurt. It was funny. I was talking to a, a governor last week, and he says, you know what, I, I think this is one of the biggest problems with the league, and I said, what's that? And he goes, all the injuries. We have too many injuries.
0: Too many games, that's why.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, maybe Take that, games off the board. maybe that's what it is. But he said, we have too many injuries, and some of them are legitimate, but we have to find if some of these are more, uh, uh, were available to overcome or defend before they happen. I think there's some teams who do it already, but it sounds like there's going to be even more and more deep data dives into injuries by some of these teams.
0: Anyway. I, I, listen, I, to that point, I understand the frustration. I get it. You're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on all yeah. of these players. These are your investments and it's frustrating and every team goes through it. But if you want the game played at this pace, 82 times a year, this is baked into the pie.
1: I understand that. I think they're talking about more like soft tissue stuff and stuff like that, to be perfectly honest. Hmm. Like, is there a better way that they could handle rest in those kinds of injuries? Right. Anyway, uh, I've totally, as usual, I've taken myself off on a terrible, terrible divergent path that makes absolutely no sense.
0: You're playing hurt. You're, you're playing hurt. You're, you're playing hurt. It's okay. That's
1: right. But anyway, let me get back to the Sabres. Lukanen is your best hope right now. Comrie's coming off an injury. And you still want to make sure that not ease him back in, but you don't want to overwork him back in. Anderson, uh, from what I'm hearing, playing now takes more out of a toll of him than in the past, which is perfectly normal. The guy is 40 years old. I mean, nobody's going to blame him for that. You have to keep the three because you have to show everybody that you're serious about winning.
0: Right. Uh, One final note on Buffalo Sabres net mining. It sounds as if. Eric Portillo, who is a third round draft pick of the Buffalo Sabres, it doesn't sound like Buffalo is going to be able to sign him. It sounds very much like he's going to explore free agency at the end of the season. He plays with the University of Michigan, for those that uh, that don't know. Uh, It looks like that he's seriously considering that option.
1: Do you think he gets traded, maybe at the deadline?
0: I I wondered. Listen, yes, I wondered. I've been wondering about that for a while, and he, and here's why: because Lukanen's considered the goaltender of the future. They go out and they grab Eric Comrie, and they already have, and they also have Devin Levi. Like, there's all these goaltenders in front of Eric Portillo. So I, I know that you know a lot of athletes would just say, "Well, I don't care who's in front of me; I'm the better goaltender. I'm going to prove it," but if you're a Portillo right now, you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, how far down the depth chart am I? And you've just signed Comrie for two years and Lukan is really close. And you've got Devin Levi as well. So I think all of that in concert might lead to this decision. So it's one of those things to watch. Like will the Buffalo Sabres take a shot at trying to sign him? I mean, he kind of holds the cards here. Like if he doesn't want to sign, he's a free agent at the end of the season. I would imagine that they've at least investigated or called around to see what the market is like. I would have to think so. Yeah, I would have to think so. Listen to 32 Thoughts, the podcast, ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is Okay, Elliot, we're going back on the road again. We are going to Owen Sound for Hockey Day in Canada. We will be there. This podcast will, anyway, on January 19th, 3.30 Eastern at Hartwood Hall, which is a really cool venue. And Jack DeKaiser is playing later on this month, too. And wow. man, did I, did I ever see Jack DeKaiser a ton back in the day? Anyway, flashbacks, Whoa. right? It's pretty cool. So, uh, live podcast, January 19th in Owen Sound, home of the attack. Shout out Dale DeGray. Uh, the event is sold out, but we're giving away five pairs of tickets that Elliot used to be six pairs of tickets. <laughs>
1: see, we call this the Joel Darling tax. Joel Darling, who's an executive (laughs) producer of of Hockey Night in Canada, he Uh. he initially told us there were six tickets, but now there's only five. So we call that the Darling Tax. The
0: Darling Tax. So the Darling Tax has been paid. It's
1: like the carbon tax, but different.
0: (laughs) The Darling Tax has been paid. And uh, we have five pairs to give away because, as I mentioned, the event is already sold out. So, And by the way, Bedini Band is going to be the in-house entertainment. So that's Dave Bedini. God, I've seen Bedini and Rio Static so much. Uh, look forward to seeing Dave and hearing some great tunes. We have a, a tentative guest list as well, which is pretty sweet. Uh, Lanny McDonald and Blair Turnbull, uh, Joey Hishin, Bobby Ryan, Mike Fuda, and and I'm really looking forward to this one. Les Binkley is going to be joining us. Les Binkley, the the great goal. And you know what? One of my. I'm dying to talk to him about one specific event in the WHA when he stood in front of shots from, as a stunt in the intermission, Evil Knievel. No way. I'll tell you the story at the show. And. So will Les Binkley. Yeah, it's when he, back when he played with the Toronto Toros. Anyhow, we're giving away five pairs. Here's how you do it. Here's how you get your tickets. Answer this question. This was Sleuth, by the way, by Amal Delich. Trivia, hockey trivia master, as it turns out. Okay, so name me the NHL team who has drafted the most players from the Owen Sound attack. Name me the NHL team that has drafted the most players from the Owen Sound attack of the OHL. Email your answer to 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca or you can leave a voicemail with your answer at 1-833-311-3232. Again, 1-833-311-3232. We will randomly select five winners this time next week. So get your answers in now. We're taking this back on the road for each. Awesome. Can't wait to go. And Elliot, we should also mention we're not the only show in town that week. Uh, certainly, Hockey Day in Canada is always a, a major occurrence in this country. Uh, but go to owensound.ca to find the other events that are taking place in and around Hockey Day in Canada. Uh, owensound.ca, the event runs from Wednesday to Saturday, and there are no shortage of things to do in Owen Sound. Ah, uh, where the attack play where they are rumored to have the best fries in the OHL. Anyway, yes. rumored. Uh, enjoy, and we look forward to seeing you in Owen Sound. Yes, can't wait. Edmonton defense.
1: Yeah, there have been a few people asking about this, and you know I tried to ask around. You know, Jake McCabe, Edmonton, I believe, is on his no trade list, so I don't think that's going to be happening uh, unless he changes his mind. I think the Oilers do want to give Broberg a a decent look, but I think they're going to do something. Like, I, I do think it's going to happen. I just don't know if it's going to happen as fast as everybody wants it to happen. And, you know, that's one of the things about the last couple of years in Edmonton. There always seems to be this time when there's a maelstrom. And, you know, what does Holland try to do? He tries to get through it until things calm down and do what he needs to do. And I think that's what he's trying to do here. Now, as I mentioned on Saturday, I think they're trying to give Broberg a bit of a window to really see what they've got there. Mm-hmm. Didn't play a ton on Saturday night, and they're going 11-7. and seven. But that loss, like you're up on 2 nothing in Colorado, you got to hold it down. And Skinner played great, and they were dominated at 5-on-5. But when you watch that game on Saturday night, that's a game good teams shut down. And they didn't, and they lost in overtime. I think one of the issues there actually is I think there's a bit of a debate about do they go with a heavier defenseman or do they want a defenseman who can make plays? And it seemed counterintuitive to me because they already have D Mm -hmm. who can make plays, like Bouchard can make plays, although he struggled this year. Barry can make plays. Nurse can make plays. But I still think that there's a conversation about we've got to make sure that whoever we get is somebody who can make plays and passes. And I think it's a lot of the similar names that we've kind of heard. Edmondson. Gavrikov. Gavrikov. But I think they will do something. I think it's a matter of targeting the right guy and figuring out cap-wise when they can really do it and when the other team's going to be ready to do it. The whole thing with Bedard, everyone's talking about, oh, we got to tank even more for Bedard. Yeah, but you can say, my team wants to trade six guys. Who's taking those six guys?
0: We've talked about that before with so many teams in LTIR and capped out, et cetera. Yeah, like like who, who, can, <laughs> who can bring them in? <laughs> you know, the other thing too, Jeff, I wanted to mention is on Saturday night after
1: we'd done our segment, I got a really interesting text from someone who said, you guys talk about all the big guys. What about all like the third liners or the second pair Ds that teams trade for, that win you cops. And I thought it was a really fair point. I mean, you can't get to everybody in an honors segment, but I think there's going to be some interesting guys that maybe aren't the headliners. Mm-hmm. Like The guy I really wonder about is Barbashev in, in St. Louis. I just remember how good he was in that playoff run in 2019, and he hasn't been great this year, but that's a guy I'd be looking at. I think that's the other thing here too, is maybe not who are the headliners, but who are the next level guys teams are going to be chasing
0: after? So you're thinking like the Arturi Lekkonen deal that Colorado made mm-hmm. last year that really put them over, or it's like a, an Andrew Cogliano or something like that. These types of, of, of smaller deals, bringing in players that aren't your necessary headline players that end up. Well, we've talked about that before. Sometimes it's the tweaks that you make at deadline that put you over the top, right? It's, you know, Anaheim at their deadline in 07, adding Brad May, that all the guys will tell you. Like I remember Scott Niedermeyer telling me once that that changed that room. Like, what's the one thing that Burke did when, you know, when you guys won the cup they put it over the top and he said it was Brad May. It's Brad May coming in, that final piece for them. Now, Brad, at that point, it's not a headline guy, but we've seen it before, right? Yeah. Not trade deadline, tweak deadline. That can sometimes put you over the top. Yep. Yeah. So Elliot, it's been a busy weekend around junior hockey. Well, it was a busy week around junior hockey with the World Juniors in Halifax and Moncton. What do you make of, because we've been talking a lot about you know NHL trade deadline and teams warming up and all, it's been a, an insane amount of trades and the the prices that teams are paying, and this is certainly all headlined by what Kamloops gave up to get Olin Zellweger, who's a prospect for the Anaheim Ducks we just most recently saw win gold uh, with Team Canada, the World Juniors. Like, There's some huge prices that are being paid here, some big names uh, that are moving Owen back. Uh, Montreal Canadiens prospect goes to Peterborough. Um, Ethan Del Mastro, Hawks prospect, and Blue Jackets prospect, Luca Del Belous goes to the Sarnia Sting. Um, Shane Wright, you know, as we record this, he's still talking to teams. Uh, I'm told that don't expect necessarily something to happen as we record this or later on this evening, but we do know that Shane Wright is getting traded. And I mentioned Zellweger. Like, I'll be blunt. It's been crazy this weekend around the CHL.
1: It sure has. I mean, some of these deals, I'm reading them about all the draft picks, and it sounds. Oh, boy. It sounds bananas, and first of all, we should say it doesn't sound like Bedard's getting moved here, right?
0: No, and that is if you you know you you, you saw his interview on the ice in Halifax. I don't want to talk about myself; it's all about team, yeah. and that's consistent with everything that we've heard about Bedard, which we should probably make you know bottom feeding teams in the NHL love and want this guy even more. Yes, <laughs> like when you talk about loyalty, bless them, and you know bless the Regina Pats, but they're not one of the. Seattle's or Saskatoon's or Portland's or Kamloops's in the Western hockey league. Those are the teams that have loaded up here and, you know, Regina ain't one of them, but Bedard, who's the best player in the CHL, he's staying. He's a Regina Pat and he's getting drafted as a Pat. I wonder if he ends up at the world championships. I wonder about the exact same thing, you know, maybe win around or at least get to the playoffs and then you're off to the world championships and then draft and then you're a pro.
1: Well, we're writing off Regina really early, but that does leave open the the possibility of it. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. do you do you have a problem
0: with all this? With the trades? Yes. Basically no. I know there are some people that don't like them. Like there are some high-ranking people around the three leagues, the Western League, the Ontario League, and the Quebec League that don't like trades or don't like this mm-hmm. volume of trades. Like, you look at a team like the Niagara Ice Dogs in the OHL, and I've, I've kind of lost count, <laughs> to be quite blunt with you, uh, the amount of moves. Like, it's in the 20s and probably flirting with the 30s now of, of how many moves um, this new ownership group has made. Um, and I know there are a lot of people uh, around the Ontario League specifically that don't like that, that think it's a bad look for junior hockey, the idea of trading teenagers, uh, from one market to the other, the one thing that I, that I will say is, you know, you still do need both, you know, player and parent approval. I know the pressure can be exerted to not so gently nudge players in, into accepting deals, but there are a lot of people that think that the volume of trades isn't necessarily a good look for junior hockey. And it's, it's not great for recruiting. And, you know, the idea that you're drafted and, and, and you go somewhere and then can be traded after six months, you're in, you know drafted by Kingston. Next thing you know, you end up in, in Sudbury across the province can be unsettling, certainly for parents and to say nothing about the players themselves at a very tender age. So I understand it. The one thing that I always do say is everybody goes into this or should go into this, eyes open wide, that this is mm-hmm. how this league operates. And the last thing you can do is feign surprise because this is how these three leagues operate.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with you on that, Jeff. I think you have to know what you're getting into. But, you know, the one thing is if if a player and his family are okay with it, that's one thing. I just worry about people getting pressured into accepting things they don't like. I understand Especially that. at that age. I understand that. So I had someone who reached out to me and said, like, this makes me uncomfortable. I I, I think I get it. this is too much. I get it. So I'm not around it as much as you are. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what you thought. If it was my son, I would say like, I better be okay with this. But I understand the pressures that come with that
0: too. It's um, and yet at the other side of it, there. It's funny. I was talking to one father today who has a kid who plays uh, junior hockey, and he's like, look, I just want my kid to play, and right now my team is loading up, so there goes my kid's ice time. I don't necessarily care where he plays. I just want him to play, and he wants to play as well. Mm -hmm. The coach knows that, you know, come next season, this player is going to be a key piece of their team, but right now, because they're loading up, he's not getting ice time. So for that player and those parents, it would be preferable if that player was moved to a situation where he would be playing and could enjoy the last few months of of, of the season, even though his team isn't necessarily, although, you know, Playoffs are a wild card. You can go on a run with a hot goaltender. You know, the team isn't necessarily going to go deep into the playoffs. So sometimes it's beneficial for the kid if the player finds himself in a situation where all of a the sudden they've just brought in two right shot D that are now playing ahead of your kid. And for the next two years, he's going to be buried in that situation. It is probably better if he goes somewhere else. So I don't, I don't think that there's one sort of cookie cutter answer to all of it. Mm hmm. Actually, Elliot, uh, a really interesting Olin Zellweger story. So we all know that a lot of athletes now, specifically younger kids, are just like workout fanatics and fitness fanatics. Olin Zellweger takes it like next level with like, you know, the fitness watch, that tracks, everything, you know, the heart rate monitor on all, like all of that. Like that is Zellweger. It has his routine, his workout, everything. He is totally dialed in. And there's a story out there about... The Anaheim Ducks interviewing their prospects, talking to their kids, right? And when they ask kids, like, how many calories do you put into your body every day? Most will give a range. It'll be like, uh, between like 2,500 to 4,500 calories. Olin Zellweger responds to the Ducks when they asked him that. He said, between 5,700 to 5,800 he is like that dialed in down. He, he puts it in his body.
1: More exact, please. I'm sorry. That's not an acceptable
0: range. <laughs> he knows his body that well between 5,700 to 5,800 a day. That's his range for how much how many calories he puts in his body. Tell me, is that guy not perfect for Dallas Aikens? Who's like, that's, Dallas, true. that's music to Dallas Aikens ears. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Crazy trades I can't remember one I know the uh the Braden Shen deal was huge Ray Ferraro's deal from Portland to Brandon once upon a time was huge but this may be this Olin Zellweger one I think and again there are much bigger authorities on the history of the Western Hockey League than me but this has got to be one of if maybe not the biggest deal in the history of the Western Hockey League for each I think they traded unborn children. <laughs> I remember talking to one general manager who's laughing to me. He said, I got in crap from my wife when I came home from trade deadline. She's like, you realize you just traded a nine-year-old. <laughs> I'm like, oh, geez, I never thought about it like that. But I guess with all those picks, I, I kind of did. Elliot, we'll wrap up the program here with, uh, with a couple of emails and a couple of phone calls as well. Uh, And once again, uh, to get your voice heard on the podcast, you can email us at 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca. Leave a voicemail at 1-833-311-3232. Let's get to a couple of these now. And there are a couple of junior hockey ones. Uh, This one is from Nick. Can you explain the CHL to me and to some fellow Americans? Is the CHL, a big umbrella name, and then the OHL, the WHL, and the QMJHL all underneath that meet up and compete for the Memorial Cup? Do they only play within their league until Memorial Cup? Love hearing you guys talk about prospects. This would help straighten a few things out for me. Nick, you are exactly right. The CHL is the umbrella organization. There are three leagues underneath it. Uh, They all play within the league, although there has been some crossover before. Um, and they do meet up and play at the Memorial Cup. The host team gets an automatic buy. You know what's interesting here, Elliot? Now with both uh, Gilles Courteau and Ron Robinson, who are the, the commissioners of the QMJHL and the Western League, stepping down at the end of next season, I wonder if this is a moment where the CHL, I think we've talked about this previous, rebrands itself, and the CHL itself gets a, a stronger foothold and more of an identity. I don't know that they go as far as you know, rebranding it CHL West or CHL Ontario, etc. cetera. But I wonder if at the end of all of this, the CHL brand comes out stronger because that brand doesn't have as much gravity as the Q, the dub, and the O does. Anyway. You think or you know? I think. I suspect. How about I strongly suspect? I like that. Uh, Nate from Nashville. At the end of the Phil Bork interview, Phil was talking about living with different families in junior what does he mean by that? As always, great show. Keep going, Elliot. I got your back. <laughs> oh, thank you,
1: Nate. This is why I love Nashville.
0: Uh, living with different families. You want to address that one, for each? Well, it's Billets.
1: And uh, in juniors,
0: you, uh,
1: you live with families. So you don't live in a hotel. You live around people. But there are rules. Like You can't just come and go as you please, Jeff.
0: Oh, there are rules and sometimes, you know, situations don't work out and you end up having a couple of different billet families and billet families, by the way, they get a stipend uh, that pays for food for the players. Uh, They also get free tickets to games. Usually, you know, billet families are, you know, longtime fans and have billeted a number of different players all throughout the years, which is why, you know, whenever you see kids at the draft and they do their interview, one of the first people they always thank are the billet families. Plenty of NHLers, they'll still keep in touch with their billets. And you know plenty, I know plenty that still keep in touch, still talk with whenever they're close by. They
1: Jordan Bennington, yes. when he played in Toronto last week, his billets from Owen
0: Sound, the Barfoots, were there watching him play. No surprise. No surprise. Okay, you like Nate in Nashville? I like Patrick in Germany. Hey, guys. Great podcast. By the way, I hate the Glass Bangers also. Patrick, with you, buddy. Good point, Jeff. I have a question about the counting of shots in the NHL. Why don't they count a shot that hits the post as a shot on goal? Because it's not going in. It's wide. Yes, it's not going in. Goalies always say that. Oh, man, yeah, but the guy hit two crossbars. Oh, you want me to stop the shots that go wide?
1: Well, that, I actually, <laughs> that actually happened to my face once. Oh, really? Tom Barrasso. Oh, yeah. Really? 1999 playoffs with the Leafs. Oh, shocking. <laughs> game one. Game one. He has shutout against Toronto. Yeah. And uh, Barrasso, who could be different, no question about that, uh-huh. to say the least. He went out the back door, and a bunch of us in the media chased him down the hallway at what is now Scotiabank Arena, and we caught him, and he stopped. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this. It was so funny okay ask me your questions and one of the reporters just like threw out a statement because he, you know he, he, this was a crazy scene yeah. and Barasso looked at him and goes is that a question so the guy had to rephrase it <laughs> I felt so bad for him I was like yeah he just threw something out there because of the unique situations and then he criticized the question and um <laughs> so he rephrased it and uh he said oh great start for you shout out a couple of posts and he goes, oh, so you want me
0: to stop the ones that weren't going to go in too?
1: <laughs> Unbelievable. It was it was a crazy
0: scene. That's a, a standard goalie line. Oh, you want me to stop the shots that go wide too? Oh, okay. It's uh, the, the ones that were going to go in. That's not enough for you? Uh, from Ryan in Dallas. We'll finish up with this one. Uh, from Ryan in Dallas, comma, but go Sabres. Uh, I'm wondering if, this is a slippery slope argument here. I'm wondering if in a close or tie game late, Can the defensive team challenge that their opponent was offside before an upcoming defensive zone draw? Can they argue the opponent was offside so the faceoff has to be outside the zone? Or can an offside challenge only occur on a scoring play? Creative. Creative. I like the way you think. (laughs) I really love the way you think. Coaches love the way that you think right now, Ryan. It's B. It's only on a goal. Only on a goal. Uh, And there we go. And again, want to remind everybody, uh, get your answers in if you want to join us in Owen Sound for the Sold Out 32 Thoughts at Hartwood Hall, January 19th, 3.30 Eastern. Here's the question. Which NHL team has drafted the most members of the Owen Sound attack? Uh, get your answers in. Not the platers. Not the platers. The Owen sound attack. Very good caveat there, Elliot. I'm very proud of you. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca or leave a voicemail. one 311 3232 Before we wrap up and get to the music, uh, I want to mention Pete Weber. Pete Weber is one of the great people of the game. Pete Weber has called hockey games going back to the 70s, whether it's the Buffalo Sabres, whether it's the Los Angeles Kings, whether it's the Nashville Predators, baseball with the Bisons as well. I always love it when a Buffalo Bisons highlight pops up on my Twitter feed from years ago and it's Pete Weber calling the game. I just love it. He is someone that we all love and respect and adore. Uh, He's the only person I know in the world who has a copy of the movie Slapshot in every room in his house. (laughs) Uh, I've had many wonderful conversations with uh, the great Pete Weber. He's been part of some wonderful calls and some wonderful memories, Uh, and he's going through a number of health complications right now. He's going in for a procedure Uh, On Monday, January 9th, that's probably when you're listening to this podcast. And just on behalf of all of us here, Pete, uh, we're wishing you, Claudia, your entire family, all the best. The entire hockey world is thinking about you, Pete. One, two, three, four. Taking us out is a quartet from Deerfield, Illinois, whose sound was initially inspired by the British invasion. The Red Walls formed in 2001 playing covers, but would soon be discovered signing to a major label. From their debut record, here's The Red Walls with "Colorful Revolution" on 32 Thoughts the podcast.